This anointed teaching by Dr. Beverly Volmerans comes to you from Christian Family Church International. Taken was an intense movie. It was released in 2009, and Liam Nearson plays a former CIA agent who sets out to find his daughter and her friend who have been kidnapped by human traffickers in France. And Liam was going to fight for his dream, and that was to free his daughter from a life of slavery. He was relentless. He refused to become distracted by anything. He stayed focused, no matter how difficult it became, no matter what came against him. He was determined to win, determined to pay the price. And in the end, family, he succeeded. He fulfilled his dream and he brought his daughter back home safely to America to be with her mother. But it wasn't without a fight. So the question I want to ask you today is, what has our enemy taken from you? Or what is he trying to take from you that is so precious to your heart? And the title of my message is, Fight for Your Dreams. If ever there was a time that we had to fight to keep our family together, it is now. We have to fight for our marriage. Let's not wait for it to fall apart before we, we fight for our marriage. Divorce is not an a, a option. No, we're going to fight for our marriage. Unless, of course, he is beating you up. Then I say, wait until he sleeps, beat him up, and then leave him. But besides that, we're going to fight for our marriages. We have great marriages. We're going to fight to make sure that our businesses grow. God's got a, uh, a way where there seems to be no way. He can grow our businesses. We're going to fight to regain our health. We're not going to stay sick. No, we're going to get up. We're going to exercise. We're going to eat healthy. We're going to do whatever it takes so that we can be here for longevity, so we can fulfill the call of God on our lives. Well, I believe this message is going to ignite a fire inside you. You might say, Pastor Bev, I feel so discouraged and weary. It seems that my dreams are not coming to pass. Well, family, don't give up. It's time to take up that shield of faith and fight the good fight of faith once again. Remember, you're special. You're wonderful. You're unique. There's no one like you. And God put you on the planet to succeed. That's right. You're not meant to fail. You're meant to succeed. There's no one like you. No one has your DNA. You're so fearfully and wonderfully made. Do you know that you have something that no one else has to offer? And there's something unique and different that you are supposed to do. Now we know that God has given us all gifts and abilities and talents and dreams. He's put it inside us as little seeds, but it's up to us to develop those seeds so that we can grow and mature and fulfill the divine destiny that God has for us. But if we want to be successful, we have to understand that we will have to overcome many challenges, many obstacles in life. Right, family? So when we face uh, challenges, 
You know, Satan, our enemy, would just like us to roll over, play dead. He'd like us to accept the status quo. He'd like us just to drink ourselves to oblivion or take tablets, Xanax or whatever everyone takes or anyone takes so they can blot out their their feelings so they can live a defeated existence. Our enemy wants us to believe that we are failures, but you are not a failure. Yes, we can learn from our failures. In fact, failing is a very good part of success because we can learn from our mistakes. But it's not God's plan for us to live a defeated existence. We all know that our Satan, our enemy, has come to do three things. That's what? To steal, shout it out. Kill and shout it out, destroy. And he's come to kill and steal and destroy the dream that God has put in your heart. But we know Jesus has come. And what has he come to do? Shout it out. He's come to give us what? Life and, yes, say it louder, life more abundantly. And he's given us the word so we can overcome. In fact, say this, say this. I am an overcomer. Say it again. I am an overcomer. Yes, you are. Well, family, we have the power to choose this day if we're going to surrender to Satan's plan of sickness and defeat and loneliness and heartache and sickness, inferiority or pain, or we can say, enough is enough today. I will stand up and I'm going to fight for my dream. I'm going to fight for my business. I'm going to fight for my children. They will serve the Lord in Jesus' name. I'm going to fight for my health. I'm going to fight for that relationship that is worth it. Now, if the relationship is toxic, get rid of it. You don't need a toxic relationship, but work for relationships that are good for all of us. So, Uh, it's important that we pick up our shield of faith and fight the good fight of faith. You know, I read a powerful statement the other day. It says, remember, if you do what is easy, your life will be hard. However, if you do what is hard, your life will be easy. Another quote I read goes like this. If we stay in our comfort zones, we will fail. Success is not a comfortable journey. We have to become comfortable at becoming uncomfortable if we ever want to succeed. We all know about the world champion, Muhammad Ali. He said the canvas is no place for a champion. So what did he do? He got up from the floor and he knocked out his opponent, Sonny Banks, and he won. And that's exactly what we're going to do. It's time for us to get our fight back. Time for us to get back on track, to speak to the devil and tell him to take his hands off our family in Jesus' name, off our finances in the name of Jesus, to loose our dreams in Jesus' name. And we are going to move forward, family, into the destiny that God has for us. Well, before God created the universe, He already planned the course for your life and for my life. And God has a dream for you and for me to fulfill. Jeremiah 1.4, and I've said this so many times, but I want you to get it because, you know, faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing. So Jeremiah 1.4, the Lord gave me this message. 
I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart as a prophet to the nations. So here we can see clearly that God set Jeremiah aside in his mother's womb and the and here to be a prophet to the nations. Then if you look at Galatians 1.15, it says, But even before I was born, this is Paul talking, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. So we see here Jeremiah and the Apostle Paul, they stated that they were separated from their mother's womb to fulfill the purpose for which God had called them. And God has a unique purpose just for you to fulfill. We see the examples in the Word of God for us to follow. And God is relevant today as he was in the Bible day. He's very relevant and he's very current. So the question is again, what is a dream that God has put in your heart? I mean, family, if money was no object, what would you like to do? Is it to start your own business, fund the gospel, become an entrepreneur? Do you want to feed the poor? Do you feel like God's called you arts and drama? So you can be influential for Christ. Do you want to be a nurse, a doctor, a dentist? Do you want to be a champion in sports? Do you want to be a small group leader, a pastor? Do you want to work in children's church? Do you want to volunteer at the dream team? And I say, yeah, and everyone said, yes. Do you want to go to Bible school? And all those who haven't said, yes, that's a dream. Do you desire to build churches or orphanages or schools? Do you want to be a, a photographer? What is the desire in your heart? Do you desire to be the best parent you can ever be so that you can shape the, our future generation? What is it, family? Well, if we want to see our God-given dream fulfilled, Hebrews 10.23 is going to help us. And it says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. So God is faithful. We've got to hold on to the Word of God. We've got to hold on to the dream that God has put in our hearts without wavering, no matter what comes against us. Because he who promised is faithful. How many of you remember Rick Renner? He's a great uh, Bible teacher. He actually lives in Russia. And he describes the behavior of faith in Hebrews 11, verse 2. And he says, For by faith that is a tenacious, committed, unrelenting faith that knows what it wants and won't give up until it receives an answer. And I believe that I'm preaching to men and women today who have this kind of faith. We have the tenacious faith, the committed faith, the unrelenting faith. Amen. And everyone said, Amen. That's me. Hebrews 11.3 talks about the Old Testament and uh, patriarchs and matriarchs and the men and women of old who had what I like to say bulldog faith. 
They refused to give up. They came into alignment with God's plan and purposes for their lives. We're going to look at Noah for an example today. You know, when Noah received the divine plan for his life, Noah believed the Lord. And the Lord said, Noah, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to flood the earth because the heart of man is so desperately wicked. And the Lord told Noah, I want you to build a boat and I'm going to give you instructions. So when the, t- and when the time is right, God told Noah, I'm going to send the animals two by two in the ark and then I am going to shut the door myself. Well, if we're honest with ourselves, family, that sounds extremely crazy, off the wall, building a boat in the middle of nowhere, long way from the ocean. I mean, just imagine if someone said to us today, you know, I'm going to go, God's told me to build an ark in the Sahara Desert or the Karoo Desert or the Kalahari Desert. We will think, are you sure you've heard from God? But this is exactly what he did. And Noah was obedient to the dream that God had put in his heart. And you know, family, that God gave Noah clear instructions about the design and the dimension of the ark. And God wants to give you and me clear instructions and divine instructions about what he wants us to do with our lives. So the instructions about the ark was, it was to be made of gopher wood. We know that. It was to be 450 feet times 75 times 45 feet. It had to have three floors, a large door, and a square window on top. The floors had to be divided into rooms. And all the walls had to be saturated with pitch. And since the ark was to hold two of every living animal, it had to be constructed accordingly. Now, most people just simply breeze through this description. And they don't look at the size and the requirements. They don't give it a second glance. Or they don't think that actually it was an architectural wonder. The obstacles that he had to overcome were enormous, not impossible for God. Before he could contemplate such a project, Noah would have to have, a, have needed a thorough education in naval architecture, in fields that would not arise for thousands of years still to come, such as physics and calculus and mechanics and structural analysis, There was no shipbuilding tradition behind him, no experienced craftspeople that could give him advice, and the internal organization of the ship had to be built to perfection. Every tiny bit of space had to be accounted for. There was no room for oversized cages or wasted space. I mean, just think about it. The cages for the horned animals. They must have had bars spaced properly to prevent the horns from getting stuck or from hurting another animal. And I just looked up how long the horns of the Texas Longhorn cattle are. And do you know their horns can span from tip to tip eight foot? That is 2.5 meters. That's a long horns. And 
He must have had two in, in there. So can you imagine their cages must have been over eight foot long or wide, right? What about the cages for giraffes with their long necks? Or what about the birds? And they needed space to fly. And what about watering the animals and bringing the water troughs or the pots? Even the flooring had to be well designed so that it wasn't too hard for the hoofs because you couldn't get the hoofs in, uh, injured. So when God told Noah to build the ark, guess what? He supplied the blueprint with every engineering detail. Now, if you ever read Morris and LaHaye, a book by Morris and LaHaye about Noah, they tell us that Noah and his sons, listen family, could build the ark in a mere 81 years. That's right, 81 years. What does that include? Well, it includes a building dock, scaffolding, the workshop, putting the crates together and the cages together, gathering provisions for the coming voyage, harvesting the timber. Think about it. They had to harvest the timber for the cages and the planks. I mean, they had no hardware shop to go for down the road and say, excuse me, I just want to buy a couple of planks. No, they had to harvest the trees, cut the trees down. They had to fell the trees, dry them. The larger beams could have taken years to dry and to cure properly to prevent rotting or splitting. A shipyard in the 19th century would have been overwhelmed by the size and the complexity of this job. And yet Noah still found time in his busy schedule to preach to the people that they'd repent from their wicked ways, otherwise judgment was coming. And God told the patriarch to coat the ark both inside and out with pitch. But when Noah hurried down to the corner shop, the shop was empty. There's no pitch at all. And seeing there was no pitch at that time, it seems that God must have accommodated Noah by creating a tar pit for the occasion. Another supernatural miracle from God. And then think for a, for a moment. God chose a pair of each species of animals to migrate all at the same time. Now, we still have about 10 migrations still today where animals migrate. We know that Serengeti is one, right? But here, God chose a pair of each of the species of animals to migrate at the same time. But the question is, where did they come from? How far did they have to come until they got to the ark? How far did they travel? And yet, not one of them came with a broken limb. None of them came with crutches. None of them were sick. None of them were diseased. And they didn't even eat each other. There was no feeding frenzy. And that is quite something. Were they programmed to go to the ark when they arrived, or did they just line up? I mean, did Noah become Dr. Doolittle? Did he start to talk to the animals in animal language? Did they understand Dr. Noah and Dr. Doolittle? 
did he tell the large ones, you better line up and, and then the little ones follow? Or did he say, the little ones, you come first and the large ones, you come last? I mean, what went on? I mean, there must have been zebras, there must have been wildebeest, leopards, hippos, rhinos. And we know that hippos attack more humans than any other animal in Africa. And yet, when they saw Noah, they left him alone. And how did Noah organize all the creepy, crawly little scorpions and centipedes and, and things that crawled all over his feet? How did he tell the birds not to fly away? And how to tell the animals, wait in line until your turn is to go into the ark? I mean, did Noah and his sons, did they lead all the animals into their cages and their stalls? Or did God supernaturally lead them where they should go? I mean, this is not a cruise ship where they line up, get their key and go to the cabin, right? So in any event, this was an impossible task. Impossible for us, but not impossible for God. In addition, God told Noah and his sons to gather food for the various animals. Genesis 6, 21 says, And be sure to take on board enough food for your family and all the animals. I mean, they had specialized diets. I guess some of them, thank God, none of them were gluten-free, sugar-free. They weren't on keto. They weren't any on special diets. But we do know that koala bears only eat eucalyptus leaves. Giant pandas only eat bamboo Trees, elephants need 300 pounds of hay a day. Lions need 16 pounds of meat a day. I mean, I don't know, did God put them on the Daniel fast? Who knows? And what about the little ones that need seeds or only eat fruit? Or what about those animals that are nocturnal? They only come, like the nachapis. They only come out at night, Right? And then, family, we think our dreams are complicated. <laughs> but Noah was obedient to the dream that God had put in his heart, even though there were so many challenges of, ahead of him. And, of course, one must have been fatigued. He must have got so tired. All that physical work at his age, year after year, cutting the trees and constructing the structure, he could have wondered to himself, when is this ever going to end? And what about time? We know it takes time for a dream to come to pass. We all think that if God gives us a dream this year, then by this time next year, it's going to be all done. But you know, we live in the microwave age, don't we? Where everything is just like, put the popcorn in there and it's like crackle pop and then it's all done, or we've got instant hair, thank God, instant nails, thank God, instant meals, thank God. So we live in the microwave age. But when God gives us a dream, it takes time. And we have to pursue our dreams with relentless faith. How Noah's friends must have criticized him and mocked him. They must have tried to distract him and pull him away from his dream. You see, up to this point, the earth had been surrounded by a canopy of mist. The whole planet was one green, huge greenhouse in which the land was watered by dew every morning. The skies never dropped rain. 
nor the bowels of earth. They had never released the water. Man had never heard of rain, let alone a flood. And we know that his extended family and friends, they must have thought he was stark crazy because only his immediate family got into the boat. Maybe some of his friends said, honestly, Noah, this is an unrealistic dream. You're just fanatical. But you know, when God gives us a dream, we've got to hold on to it. We've got to fight for it because people, our friends, our family, even those ones who are close to us, they're going to try and take us away from our dream, distract us, or even try and destroy the dream that God has put in our heart. When God gave Apostle Thea a night vision, remember so many years ago, to expand the ministry to the USA, it did sound far-fetched, didn't it, family? It sounded super crazy. But he knew that if he didn't pursue his dream and fulfill it, we would all miss our destiny. He was definitely like Noah. He was tenacious. He was relentless. He had to ignore the naysayers and the friends and families who tried to discourage him. And even though we've been here in America for 20 years, we're still contending for our dream. Our dream in Africa is not fulfilled yet. We have a way to go. God has still put so much more in our hearts, and we are pressing into God. We are fighting for our dream, and we won't be satisfied until we know that God's plan has been fulfilled in our lives. And even though my husband is at his age, he's fit, he's strong, we like Noah, we're going to keep on going until the ark is completed. Like Caleb, I'm 85, give me that mountain. I'm still fit like I was when I'm 40 years of age. So we ain't going anywhere. We're going to fill the call of God on our lives, and that includes you. So we're trusting God for our churches. We're trusting God for revival in our churches. We're trusting God for the supernatural to be the natural. We're trusting God for signs, wonders, and miracles. We're trusting God for Him to open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing so that we don't have room to enough to... to um, house it so we can give it uh, to way to the poor and help the orphans and, and start churches and campuses all over Africa and South Africa. Oh, we are not finished yet. No, and we still have the excitement in our heart. We know that God is going to complete the work that He started in us, and He's going to complete the work that He started in you, family. You know, I was talking to my husband about Noah, and he said to me, Bev, have you ever wondered about the ramifications of Noah's obedience? I mean, the very fact that he succeeded in spite of all his challenges, he held on to the confession of his faith. But this is what my husband told me. He said, Bev, because Noah obeyed God, the human race was able to continue. Noah was like the new Adam. And when we say yes to the God's dreams and plans, sometimes we don't realize the ramifications and the obedience when we say yes to God's plan. But decade after decade, Noah stayed the course. And we are definitely staying the course. And because of Noah, billions of people exist who would not have been born if he did not fight for his dream and finish the race. 
and his life is still affecting and encouraging people today. I am preaching about him, right? So your dream can impact your family and your community and the world that you live in just like Noah's did. So we're not going to give up. We're going to keep on. We're going to put up a shield of faith and we're going to stop every single dart of the enemy. Now, I want to finish this message with this amazing story of Christina Noble. Christina was born in 1944 in Dublin, Ireland, in a place called Liberties. It was the worst slum in Europe at the time. She was the eldest of eight children, two of whom died as babies. Her father was an alcoholic and he squandered the money away while the children were brought up by the mother who was sick. And Christina's mom died when she was 10 years of age. So she assumed the role of being the mother to her siblings, even though the youngest was only three years of age. She tried to feed them. She would try to get them to go to school. She would get up at four o'clock in the morning. Did you hear me? Four o'clock in the morning so she could go to the market and get oranges and cabbages and that people were throwing away and she would cook them up for her siblings. Then at night, she would walk the streets and go from pub to pub trying to find her alcoholic father and get him to come home. Well, of course, the children grew painfully uh, thin. They were malnourished and they had scabies and ringworms. And then someone eventually reported them to the authorities. And Christina clearly remembers the day. They were taken to the courtroom and the judge looked at them and his eyes, she said, was cold as ice. And he said that they would have to go to separate institutions. The siblings couldn't be together. She remembers screaming, Daddy, Daddy, please don't let them take us. We will be good and we'll go to school. But her father shouted back, Your mother is dead and I can't look after you. The institution that she went to was hundreds of miles away from home and they mentally abused the children and beat the children. So at 16 years of age, she found her way back to Dublin. She looked all over for her father, but her father was living in a hostel. There was no room for her to go. So she was homeless. Yes, she was homeless. She decided, I'm going to sleep in the park. She called it her den. She would dig down in the soil and she would go and get newspapers and cardboard paper and she would cover herself at night and she would just cry for her mom. At 18, she moved to England. She got married there and had three children. It was not a happy marriage. Her husband would beat her and was addicted to other women. But through it all, she somehow had a love for the Lord and spoke to Him often. She would go to Catholic churches just to see if she could find a a statue of Jesus because she thought if she could find a statue of Jesus, she could talk to Jesus. And while her children were very small, one night in 1971, she had a dream. She was at the lowest part of her life, and she had a vivid dream. She dreamt of the Vietnam War. She dreamt the children's hands were reaching out to her, begging her to take them and to feed them. She dreamt she could make a difference to the children in Vietnam. She wasn't a traveler. She didn't even know where Vietnam was. But in her dream, she saw against the sky that was black and red, the word written out, Vietnam. 
She couldn't explain the dream, but she became obsessed with finding Vietnam. And she said to the Lord, Lord, if you will just give me time, I will promise to follow the dream. You see, she needed time, family, for her children to grow up, get married, and get on their own two feet. Then 18 years later, yes, I said it, 18 years later, in 1989, she followed the Lord's dream. She packed her suitcase. She went to Vietnam with just a few hundred pounds in her pocket. She was not highly educated. She didn't have qualifications. She didn't have financial backing. And she didn't know the right people. But she had a dream from the Lord. And she was going, going to allow Him to lead her and guide her until she fulfilled the dream. She checked into a hotel. She started walking the streets of Vietnam, loving little street children. Eventually, she found an orphanage in the middle of the city where she went to work. And of course, the people would ask her, what are your motives? Why did you come? You're a Westerner. Why? Did you, are you wealthy? Did you bring money with you? And she said, no, I don't have much. I'm not wealthy. But I do have a dream. I have a dream that God has put in my heart. And I have lots and lots and lots of love for the children. Of course, they said, how do you know what it feels like to be a street child? And her reply was amazing. She said, it doesn't matter whether you are in the gutter in Dublin or in the gutter in Vietnam. You are still in the gutter. And she told the authorities that she had a passion to help children and it sprung up from her own childhood. She said, I know what it's like to be homeless and to live in the park. I know what it's like to be without a parent. I know what it's like to struggle, go without food and be hungry. I know what it's like to live a life of suffering. The authorities were reluctant, but eventually they gave her a working visa. She worked tirelessly, night and day in the orphanage, loving children, helping them. All at the same time, she was trying to raise money because the building needed to be repaired. And really, she wanted to turn it into a medical center where the, the children could get medical help. She relentlessly called on companies, knocking on doors, until one day, an oil company gave her her first 20 thousand dollars. From that day, 1989, until today, her life has touched over a million children. She has started over a hundred projects all over Vietnam and Mongolia. She has medical and dental clinics. She's got schools where the children are educated and loved. And Christina Noble has been named one of the 50 most inspiring people of our time. Even though Christina had a traumatic childhood in the slums of Dublin, as an adult she used her own harsh experiences to transform the lives of a million impoverished children. She says, I love what she says, she says, I'm not wealthy in terms of money, but my life is rich every day. I feel like I've won the lottery. I could never spend all the joy that I've received from helping so many children. 
You see, family, it's not about where we've been. It's not about what we've lost. It's about where we are now. What are we going to do with our decision today? What are we going to do with our future? Are we going to allow the past experiences, our disappointments, our hurts, our setbacks, our heartaches, our rejection, the pain in our heart, are we going to allow all of those to cloud our future and steal our dreams? Or are we going to listen to the voice of God and allow Him to lead us and guide us to victory, to fulfill our dreams? If her dream could touch a million lives, I believe our our dream could touch lives also. It's time for us, family, to fight for our dreams. You're worth it. I believe with God's help, you can do it. I believe God wants to renew your vision. He wants to restore your passion so you can begin today to live the extraordinary life that God has planned for you. I know you can. With God's help, all things are possible. Now, how many of you have been encouraged to pursue the dream in your heart? How many of you want to agree with me for your dream that God has given you to come to pass? Well, while the music is playing, I want you to come forward. And the pastors and the leaders are going to lay hands on you and they're going to agree with you that the supernatural will become the natural, that God is going to make a way for you where there seems to be no way. He's going to lead you and guide you. He's going to tell you exactly what you're going to do to fulfill that dream in your heart. So come along, come down now while the music is playing. The pastors are, are ready, the, the leaders are ready, and they're going to agree with you. And God is going to do something extraordinary in your life today. But wasn't that amazing? How many of you feel energized? You're going to go out there, believe God once again that your dream is going to come to pass. I'm praying for you. Apostle Theo is praying for you. And I know God has done something extraordinary in your life. Well, for those of you who are new here, who have never made Jesus the Lord of your life, you're watching online, you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, we would love to give that opportunity. If you say to me, Pastor Bev, I've never accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, we want to pray for you today. If you've said, I don't know if I die today where I'd go. I don't know if heaven would be my home. I don't know where I would go. We want to introduce Jesus to you to be your Lord and Savior. If you say, please pray with me, I want you to raise your hand, even if you're online, Raise your hand in the auditorium, wherever you're watching, raise your hand and I'm going to pray with you. I want you to say this uh, prayer with me out aloud. Say, Heavenly Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I believe today my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Heaven is my home. I confess that I am a sinner. I repent of my sins. Thank you, Heavenly Father, 
for helping me to live the life that you've planned for me in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us during this episode of Living Life with Dr. Theo and Bev Volmerans. We hope that through this inspired teaching, you had an encounter with God. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of Apostle Theo and Dr. Bev Volmerans and would like to enjoy more resources, we hope you will visit our website at www.christianfamilychurch.co.za or for our American listeners, www.christianfamilychurchsa.com. Thank you.